Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Lord, thank you that you are good, Father. Thank you that you are present, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you come and set the example, Father, for everything you've called us to in Jesus, Lord. Reflecting the Father's heart, Lord, the exact imprint of his nature. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here working in hearts and revealing spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, Lord. We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to continue a bit about what Maria said last week. He spoke about the road of sanctification you know, and lifting out those three points that he had, you know, spending time in the word of God, drawing near to, to, to Jesus in his word, reading the word of God, and really accepting the word of God. And I think for us specifically, you know, coming out of this time, like you also shared of encounter for a lot of people being set free, a lot of people experiencing deliverance and also the whole year. And the question is that how can then we keep on growing? And that is on the road of sanctification. And he highlighted those three points, you know, and coming to Jesus, spending time in his word. And also just want to encourage us for those of us who are going on vacation, end of the year, to remind ourselves of that fact. That Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And the conclusion then that we have to make that if we need rest, we are not close to the one who gives rest. Because Jesus himself says, I will give you rest. I'm not going to give you a four-step plan. I'm not going to give you a 10 steps to peace or something like that. No, I myself will give you rest. And if we are close to Jesus, we will truly experience rest. And for us, going away on vacations or going and doing something at the end of the year, you know, the world's idea of rest is to go sit somewhere passively and do nothing or do something else. Simply a distraction of the issues that we face. The fact that we are tired, anxious, depressed, overwhelmed. And then we go and sit somewhere and we forget about it for a while. But when we come back January, February, tired again, anxious again, depressed again, full of worries again. And then the conclusion is that you have wasted your time and your money for no reason. But may we come back if we go to rest with a greater revelation of who God is, what he's called us to do. And with zeal and passion to follow him who gives rest. And the other two points that Maria made was to take every thought captive, to align it with the word of God, and to serve and spend time with godly community. That is the road of sanctification. That is how we grow. And tonight I want to ask the question, what is the goal of sanctification? If that is the road, what is the goal? And our title is, the goal of sanctification, what would Jesus do? Who has a what would Jesus do bracelet? No one, shucks guys, that's basics, you know. That's the basics and we're not even doing that right. Okay, no worries. I just lost mine, I had it on just now, I don't know where it went. What would Jesus do? That is the goal of sanctification, to ask that question, to become Christ-like. You know, and Peter writes in the book of Corinthians and he asks this question to the church and he says, test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. To see if Jesus Christ is in you, then you've indeed passed the test. But if not, you fail the test. Like Paul writes, I'm going to continue this road with you until Christ is fully formed in you. 
And that is what we need to ask and that is what we need to test ourselves. Whether we are truly in the faith, whether Jesus Christ is truly in us, whether we are really Christ-like. That is the goal of sanctification. And the whole of last night, I couldn't sleep. I just had this continuous thought about the traditional Christian in my mind. Thinking to myself, you know, these people and my heart breaks that think they are saved and think they are following God, you know, in vain holding to the traditions of men rather than the word of God. Water sprinkled on their foreheads, false perception of eternal life that they never truly received. Lives out of line with the word of God and they we comfort ourselves with the saying, but I believe everything's okay. And then scripture says that on judgment day, every knee will be bowed and the whole world with one voice will declare Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, name above every name. But for most people, that confession will be too late. And in light of that, and in light of growing up in traditional Christian country, we need to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith and to see whether Christ is truly formed in us. You know, Proverbs 29, 18 says, there where there's a lack of prophetic vision, people cast off restraint, meaning that if people don't know where they are going, they will go nowhere. The same is true of sanctification and growth. We need to know where we are growing. We need to know what the goal is. And that is to become like Jesus. And then to ask ourselves the question, if you look at yourself last year this time and you look at yourself today, do you look a little bit more like Jesus? What's their growth? Because like Maria also said, there's either passivity and apostasy or growth. There's no gray area. There's no pause in following God and if we follow, we will grow. But do you look a little bit more like Jesus today? than last year, this time. And what are the things that you are thinking about at the moment? What do you use to measure that? What pops up into your mind? What are the things that you're automatically thinking about? You see, because in our Western culture, we tend to go to character. We tend to ask ourselves, okay, am I a little bit more loving? Am I a little bit more caring? Am I a little bit more patient? Do I have a little bit more grace? We go to knowledge and time spent in prayer. Did I read my Bible more? Do I know more about God than I did last year this time? Did I pray a little bit more? But the moment we think about character, we are actually asking the question, what was Jesus like? Not what would Jesus do? You see, we many times think about a situation and we portray this idea of what Christ would do in a certain situation. And then we say to ourselves, no, he would be loving. Is that it's what he would be? But that doesn't say what he would do. What would Jesus do? Because we tend to focus on character. And there's two areas where we should grow in, and that is to become like Christ in both character and ministry. To be like Jesus was, but also to do what Jesus did. That is the areas where we should grow in. And the two cannot be separate from one another. You see, if the character is there, it will inevitably flow out into the ministry. We will see that in just a moment. It will lead to that. That is what empowers us to do what God has called us to do. It will lead there inevitably because it's the fruit of the Spirit that fills us. And it's the Spirit who leads us. But if we try to do the ministry without the character, then we will fail. People will get hurt and we will do it out of a place of pride and it won't last. But if the character is there, the ministry will be there as well. 
And I don't know about you, but I think a good place to start when we ask the question, what would Jesus do, is to think about what did Jesus do? What did he do? Because that's 10 to 1, what he will do now as well, if he was here. And also we have to be realistic and honest with ourselves. If we do not know what Jesus did, if we don't have an idea of who God was, what he did, we can't answer the question. And many times we ask the question, what would Jesus do in a certain situation? And we're actually only thinking, what would I do if I was a really good person? Because I don't know what Jesus was like. I don't know what he did. Yes, I have an idea of Christ. I'm not saying that's, that's true of everyone. I'm saying that that is sometimes what happens. But I don't have a good idea what Christ was like and what he did. I won't be able to answer that question. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture in John 17. It's the high priestly prayer. Jesus praying this prayer over his disciples and extends that to every believer that would believe. And it's a very remarkable thing because rarely do we see the contents of the prayers of Jesus recorded. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, yes, we see the prayer recorded, a short one. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' prayer recorded, a short one. And yes, he teaches the disciples how to pray, but that's not him praying. And we read often, and he went and prayed, and he went up on a mountain, and he waked. And he woke up early and he went in pride, but rarely is the content of the prayer recorded. And here we see one of the rare instances of the contents of Jesus' prayer recorded. And to bear in mind that in Greek or Hebrew, when they want to emphasize something, they repeat it. It's like Jesus saying, truly, truly, I tell you. It's like, this is important, guys, listen up. And through this prayer, there's a couple of things that Jesus repeats. And we will focus on that. We will look at two points primarily when it comes to the character of Christ, but then we will focus on the ministry of Christ. What would Jesus do? If he was in my workplace, if he was in my family, if he was in my small group or my church, what would Jesus do? Let's read together. John 17 from verse 1 to 23. Jesus said these things and lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son in order that your son may glorify you just as you have given him authority over all flesh in order that he would give eternal life to them, everyone whom you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've glorified you on earth by completing the work that you've given me to do. And now, Father, you glorify me at your side with the glory that I had at your side before the world existed. I've revealed your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you have given them to me and they have kept your word. Now they understand that all things that you have given me are from you because the words that you gave to me I've given to them. And they received them and know truly that I've come from you and they have believed that you have sent me. I'm asking on behalf of them, I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you have given me, because they are yours. And all my things are yours, and all your things are mine, and I have been glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, and they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given to me, so that they might be one, just as we are. When I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me. I guarded them, and none of them has perished except the son of destruction, that is Judas, in order that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And now I'm coming to you, and I'm saying these things in the world, so that they might 
have my joy completed in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for them I sanctify myself, so that they themselves also might be sanctified in the truth. And I do not ask on behalf of these only, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, in order that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, in order that they may be one, just as we are one, in them and you in me, in order that they might be completely completed in one, so that the world might know that you sent me, and you have loved them just as you have loved me. Interesting passage of scripture with a lot of things going on, a lot of things repeated. And so beautifully here at the end, one of the things that Christ repeats often is the unity of the church, that they might be one, just like the Trinity is one. Now that is quite a standard. I don't know if you agree with me. And what would the result be that the world might know that Jesus Christ was sent here? That the world might know that Jesus Christ is Lord. That the world might know that the Father loves us just like he loved the Son. And many times we focus on the passage on John 13, you know, by the love we have for one another, the world will know. But also the unity we have for one another. So here we get a glimpse of what love does. What happens in the hearts of people filled with the love of God. They are eager to maintain the unity in the Spirit. And they live in unity. They live as one. And then also the world knows that Jesus came and that Jesus sent us into the world as well. But to focus on character and ministry, there's two verses in this passage that sums it up well. And that is John 17, verse 3 and verse 4. We read the following. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then verse four, I've glorified you on earth by completing the work that you've given me to do. Now that verse three, that knowing speaks of an intimate knowing, not just knowledge of, but relationship with. A true knowing God, a true love for God, an intimate relationship with God, that is eternal life. Not simply knowing of God, not simply reading about him, but truly knowing who he is, having a relationship with him. And that leads us to holiness. As we draw near to him in his word, the word sanctifies us. The truth sanctifies us. Then in verse four, it speaks about the work that he's given Jesus to do. Jesus says, I've glorified the father by completing the work that he's given me to do. And for every single believer, there'd be that two great purposes that we have in life. And that is to truly know God and to complete the work that he's given us to do. For each and every believer, that will be the two great purposes of our lives, to know him and to complete the work that he's given us to do. It will always start with knowing God and then something will happen in our lives, a sanctification will take place and that will drive us into the works that he's given us to do. It's not do some stuff that you can be saved. Like Ephesians 2.8 says, by grace you have been saved, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. It is a gift of God. But then verse 10 says, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works planned beforehand that we might walk in them. 
There's been good works planned beforehand. There's work that God has for us to do. Now, even in the beginning, work was part of creation when sin did not enter. I don't know if you know that. But Adam and Eve was called to work in the garden to maintain it and to keep it before sin entered into the world. And that is a work that God has for each and every one of us. And he wants us to live out those good works that he has prepared for us. But it starts with this knowing God, this real intimacy of God. Hosea 4 verse 6, scripture that we know, have heard maybe many times. My people perish because of a lack of knowledge. And because you have rejected me, I've rejected you from being priests unto me. To commune between God and man. Because there's no knowledge of God. There's no knowing God. There's no knowing what he expects of us, who he is, what he's called us to do. And God says if we do not truly know God, if there's no knowledge of God in our lives, he says that that means we've rejected him. My people perish because of a lack of knowledge and because you've rejected me. Because if you didn't reject me, you would have known my word. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. It says, Lord, let the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. But let him who boast, boast in this, that he understands and that he knows me. That I am the Lord that practices steadfast love and faithfulness in the earth. When these things I delight, declares the Lord. And what does God delight? In those that understand and know him. Those that have knowledge of him, yes, but obey that knowledge so that there can be a true relationship with God. And both is needed. But to first look at the knowledge side of things, we read in Colossians 3 verse 10 and Ephesians 4 verse 13, we read the following. It says, and I've put on the new self. Verse 9 says, you've put off the old self with its desires and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creation. And it speaks here about a holiness. The whole, the whole chapter is focused on character, growing in the character of Christ. But as we put on the new self, we are being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. As we know him, we grow to be like him. You see, there's no but, maybe, maybe you can, some of you will. But no, if we truly have an intimate relationship with God and we grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will become like him. And then Ephesians 4 verse 13 says, until we all attain, speaking about the work of ministry, that the whole body of Christ is called to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What a calling. We will grow until Christ comes back because I don't think we'll attain that anytime soon, but we'll press on to grow into the fullness of Christ. But it says there, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And we see these two things. We see holiness and we see unity. And holiness is not simply not doing certain things. It means being set apart for God, being other, so that God can use us. And we need this for the mission that God is calling us to. We cannot save the world if we are like the world. You with me? We also cannot do it on our own. We need the unity of the faith. We need to be in unity with those around us, slotted into the community of God to do what he has called us to do. I want to make it clear tonight that if you are in disunity 
with the body of Christ. And what I mean by that is not every building that has a cross on and a guy standing with a mic in his hand. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the church. But every single believer that truly lays down his life, takes up his cross and follows Christ wholeheartedly. If we are not in unity with one another, then there's a disconnection between us and God because he is the head from whom the whole body grows. You see, being in unity or having unity of the faith doesn't mean that we agree with one another. It means that we agree with God because he is the one that gives the unity. You see, Ephesians 4 verse 2 says, be eager to maintain the unity. It doesn't say create unity. It just says maintain it. God already made it. It's there. It's his word, his purpose, his authority. The mission that he gave to his church. And we don't need to come together with grand ideas and align according to that. We simply need to align ourselves with God and then we will be in unity as well. And when, when there's constant disunity, ten to one, disunity between you and God. And Jesus prays the exact same thing, speaking about this holiness and speaking about this unity in John 17. It says here in verse 16 and 17, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Lord, they are not of this world. They are other than. They don't look the same. They don't act the same. They're not pursuing the same goals and the same things. Yes, we get tricked sometimes and there we run off. Then we realize, hey, wait, this is an empty thing. And then by the grace of God, we repent and return. But we don't look like the world. We don't pursue the things of the world. We look a little bit different. We've put certain things off and we've taken certain things up. But the character of Christ should be formed in our lives as we study the word of God more and more. And then verse 22, and the glory that you've given to me, I've given to them in order that they might be one just as we are one. Just as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is one so that we can be one as well. One in purpose, one in vision in unity with what God has called us to do. Like Jesus said, what I speak, I don't speak of my own accord, but as the Father says, I say. As the Father does, I do. Call to that same unity to live out the mission of Christ. And without this, we won't reach the world. Without this, we won't be equipped to do what God has called us to do. We can't reach the world by looking like the world. If you want to help someone out of a pit, hopefully you're not in the pit as well. Like Jesus says, the blind leading the blind. But we need to see, our eyes need to be open if we need to go and proclaim to the world that Jesus Christ really saves. So what do we need for the mission? These two things, holiness and unity. Holiness and unity, and this speaks about the character side of Christ. What did Jesus do? We'll get to that now, but how he did it was in holiness and unity. Never ever was there a single part of Jesus' life where he was in disunity with the Father, where he didn't do something in complete and utter holiness, being set apart for God for the purposes to which God had called him. And he's calling us to the same, to have holiness and to have unity. And many times when we think about the character of God, we, we don't always think about unity. We don't bring that with. But even when thinking about the character side of things, we many times do so in a very misleading way I mean it's easy to say I think I'm a little bit more patient than last year it's difficult to measure can't really see it's a bit objective I think I'm a bit more loving I think I'm a bit more gracious but it's difficult to measure 
And we'll see now that when it comes to the ministry side of things and we haven't grown in the ministry side, then we haven't grown in the character side because it goes together. The one can't be there without the other one. And the ministry side of things, that's, that's clearly measurable. You know, we can see whether we've grown there or not. Very evident and very easy to see. You see, but if we say that we've grown character-wise and we've really pressed into God and we are sitting at his feet, then the sending will inevitably come. The mission will inevitably come. If I've grown in my faith, then I obey the one in whom my faith is. So Jesus did two things primarily, and we'll, we'll get to that now. You know, irrelevant of who you are, where you are, what your job is, where you find yourself in this world, these two things will inevitably part of what God has called you to do. And when you ask the question, what would Jesus do? He would have done these two things, without doubt. These are the two things that Jesus would have done. And he prized that thing over us as well, to know that we are called to do it as well. We read here in John 17 verse 18, and it says the following. Just as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And then the great commission in the gospel of John, John 20 verse 21. It's the shortest one, but it's also the most beautiful one to me because it just captures everything together so well. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Just like the Father sent me. With that vision, that mission, in that unity, in that holiness, with that authority, so I am sending you. What I began, I'm calling you to complete. May the church do what Jesus did. May we continue with the mission that God has called us to. And what was those two things essentially? Luke 19 verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save. To actively go out and look where are the people that need to hear the message of salvation and to go and proclaim it to them. Doesn't say and Jesus came so that the lost might come to him or stumble their way towards him. And if by some miracle that happens, he could proclaim the message of the kingdom to them. No, no, no. He came to seek and to save the lost. He actively went and preached the message of the gospel. which was needed to be heard. And then he extends it to us as well. John 17 verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these only, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word. And what's so beautifully for me about this prayer is Jesus is praying a certain thing here. He's not saying those who might believe through their words, those who could believe through their words. It's as if it already happened. I also pray for those who believe in me through their word. That is us as well, by the way. I'm still reading the scriptures and the epistles that they wrote till this day. And Jesus extends that prayer to us as well. And Jesus prays this prayer and a couple of times he says, I've given them your word and they've kept it. That is what Jesus came to do, to give his word to the people that were with him. That is what he did. He says, I've revealed to them your name, speaking about the character of God, like we read in Hebrews. Jesus, the exact imprint of the nature of God, living out the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. That is what... Jesus did and he calls us to do the same. Takes us to point number one. What did Jesus do? He came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. And we need to do that as well. You know, in verse 15, Jesus explicitly prays, Lord, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. They need to be in the world to reach 
the world, but protect them from the evil one. You see, what would Jesus do if it was at your workplace, in your family, in your small group, in our church? He would seek and save the lost. That is what Jesus would do. How he would do it was in holiness and unity. He would do it in a very loving manner. He would be patient. He would be kind, full of grace. But he would seek and save the lost. And you see, it's that character of Christ that actually compels him to do this. Again and again throughout the gospel, we read when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says to the disciples, pray. And then they went and then they ministered. Even when they went, wanted to go away and just rest for a while. The crowds followed them. But when Jesus saw, he had compassion. The character of Christ compelling him to do the work of ministry. It's the same thing Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of Christ compels us. Because we've concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. Who for our sake died and was raised again, receiving the ministry of reconciliation. To go and proclaim to this world that in Christ Jesus, God reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. That is what Jesus would do. He would seek and save the lost. And you see, we can say a lot of things, but if we reflect on last year and this year, and I haven't grown in this, then I haven't grown at all. Maybe not nice words to you, but true words nonetheless. This is the call of Christ, so clear, so unavoidable. Now, many times we think about the coming apostasy that Scripture speaks of, people falling away, people growing passive, and we think certainly these are the people that is going to abandon the faith. They're no longer going to meet together with the saints. They're no longer going to come to church or small group. But the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 writes to the church. People sitting in the church, he expected them to hear the words being read. And he said, some of you ought to have been teachers by now. Some of you should have been somewhere by now, been used by God to instruct others in the faith. Yet you need someone to come and again teach you the basic principles about the word of God. You see, the apostasy, the passivity... That scripture warns the church about. It's not neglecting the faith. It's just simply sitting passive and there's no growth coming through our lives. No running with the calling that God gave. And if you see that's true of your life tonight, the invitation of grace stands. Please don't here try harder because that's not what the gospel says. It says simply draw near to Christ and surrender to him. I mean, we are incapable of trying harder. When Jesus ascended into heaven and before the Holy Spirit was poured out, what did he tell the disciples? Go and pray in a room. And now I just told you to go and make disciples of the nations, but wait, you can't do this on your own. You just go and pray in a room. Don't try and shoot a trailer. Don't, don't go for a test run. Wait. But when the Spirit comes, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And if we draw near with a true heart and say, God, I want to do what you've called me to do. He will fill you with his spirit and he will use you mightily to do what he's called you to do. And if you think you don't have what you take, then you're the perfect candidate. Yes. God says he uses what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. He uses the weak to lead the strong. So if you think you can't, you're qualified. 
because God uses us so that he can receive the glory. And I know a lot of stuff happened. I'm not saying that we should preach the gospel to everyone in Secunda. Start small, 10 people a day, 20 people a day. I'm just making a joke, guys. Start small, start praying for those people. Start asking God for the opportunity to go and proclaim the truth to them. And if you're praying for someone, pray for someone in Secunda that you will actually meet and actually have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Don't pray for someone in Cape Town. Pray for someone here. Step out in faith. And know that you're not responsible for their actions. Jesus says, I give, I've given them your word and they've kept it. They've kept it. And we are called to go and proclaim the word of God. But the people are called to keep it. And we'll be rejected many times. That's okay. But let's continue. Because God is able to save. Then secondly, what did Jesus do? Mark 1 verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you disciples. And John 17 verse 18, Jesus prays, just as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. From I will make you to I have made you. You are disciples now. You are ready to do what I've called you to do. Go. I said I will make you. I have made you. Now go and do the same. That is what Jesus did. He made disciples who made disciples. And what is a disciple? It's someone who follows and obeys Jesus. A disciple is someone who, like Jesus, lives the gospel, holiness and unity, proclaims the gospel, and teaches others to do the same. That is a disciple. Someone who, like Jesus, lives the gospel. Not of this world looks a little bit different, proclaims the gospel, being sent into this world and teaches others to do the same. Again, in theory, it sounds super easy. I know it's a little bit difficult in, in practicality, but Paul sums it up quite well in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 and he says, as I follow Christ, follow me. Follow me as I'm following Christ. That's the invitation that we give. Discipleship is an invitation to come alongside. Hey, come with me as I follow God. Come and join me as I grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. And tonight I want to ask the question, if you go to someone and you say, hey, follow me as I'm following Christ, and they ask you, how are you following Christ? And you have nothing to say. And maybe you're not following Christ. And I'm not saying that you should know everything. Small steps. If your Christianity, if you're new to this, if you're beginning to grow and you don't have all the answers yet and your Christianity is going to the people of God being serious about the word of God and he says, come together when the saints meet. So I'm going to church. I'm going to small group. I want to grow. If that is it, invite someone along. Hey, follow me as I follow God. If they ask, hey, what does that look like? I'm going to church so that I can worship God, so that I can hear his word. And on Wednesday, I go and sit together with what was a weird couple of people once, but they family now. And we discuss this and we encourage one another to love and good works. Come alongside. Don't have all of the answers, but that's what I'm busy with and you can join me. But follow me as I grow in holiness, unity, and as I take the mission of God seriously. Come alongside. Let's do this together. That takes us to the last point. What did Jesus do? Jesus made disciples who made disciples. 
It's like Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. What you've seen and heard from me, entrust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. What I've taught you, teach to others, to teach to others. But allow it to grow. And we are not very good at this as human beings. There's been a, a lot of revivals throughout the ages. And if we were good at this, there would have only been one revival. And we would still be busy with it. Amen? But unfortunately, it doesn't happen that way. But let us be different. And I know sometimes it's overwhelming. Mom's thinking to, to themselves, oh man, oh man. I already have six children running around, four of them not mine. How on earth am I going to reach someone else? How on earth am I going to make a disciple? Disciple them. Disciple them. You know, sometimes I stand here and I look to some of the moms and dads there at the back and they're busy with the kids and they're just thinking to themselves, man, I don't know why I came. I'm hearing nothing. I'm receiving nothing. But what you are doing is you are teaching your children the value of coming together with the saints to worship God. You are making disciples. Amen. And do that faithfully. Do that faithfully. And to also make this practical to say, what, what does it mean then if we say, okay, but this is what Jesus did. If I ask myself the question, what would Jesus do each and every single time? If the person is not saved, he would have preached the message of the gospel. That is what Jesus would do. And as a people living in a traditional Christian world, we have a lot of work to do. Because there's people that think they're saved. And they're encouraging themselves with the words, I can, I can live the way I want to. That'll be okay. And for us to say, no, that is not the gospel. And judgment will come. And your knee will bow and you will confess. But I really desire for that not to be too late. Won't you do so now? But when you see someone at your workplace that do not know God and they're not following God, Jesus would have encouraged them with the message of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel that Jesus saves. And if people are already saved, Jesus would have encouraged them to love and good works. And sometimes it's harsh words and sometimes it's direct words. But nonetheless, let us follow in holiness and unity. That's what Jesus would have done. If we see a brother or sister that's life's out of line with the message of the gospel, say, hey, that's not what the call of discipleship is. Lay down your life. Take up your cross. Follow God. Come and align with the word. Align with the word. If we sit in a group somewhere and people begin to gossip, what would Jesus do? Hey, this is out of line with the message of the gospel. We don't do this. This is not promoting unity. This is bringing disunity. And we will not do this. And Gert, I see you have a problem with Jan, so are you going to phone him now or should I? Because you will speak about this. Because that is what Jesus said. If you have a problem with your brother, if you realize your brother has a problem with you, go to them and sort it out. But we are called to live in unity. That's what Jesus would do. Maybe you think to yourself, man, then they won't like us. Yes, Jesus says the world will hate us then. Also part of the prayer. But we rejoice in that because Jesus has overcome this world. And we're not living for the year now. But for one day. And the fruit of righteousness will be revealed in the kingdom to come. And then it would be a good day. For all who heard the message of the gospel. And all who followed all heartedly after Jesus. 
So let's go and proclaim the message of the gospel. And let's go and make disciples.